I believe in the power of prayer. I really do, and I know that you do as well. Otherwise, you would not be here tonight. So some time ago, when I was asked, knowing that this time would roll around again this year, our Prayer for America service, was asked to speak for just a little while. It was one of those moments when it takes just a second to say, well, what should I speak about? And it's a prayer service. So listen, I'm from Georgia, but I can even figure this out. It'd be good to talk about prayer. So I want to talk about prayer for a few moments. And so I begin with a question. When I say the word prayer, what is the first thought that comes into your mind? For uh, all of us are not going to think in the same way when we hear prayer. Some of you, quite honestly, when you hear the word prayer, the first word that comes into your mind is uh, guilt. Because even now you may be saying, well, I, I don't pray nearly enough. I know I'm a Christian. I know I'm a follower of Jesus. I love God, but I don't really pray the way that I, I need to pray. or I don't pray the way I used to pray. So for some of you, when you hear the word prayer, you just feel a little bit guilty about that. Others of you, you think about this word, frustration. And it's like, you know what? I've been praying about a matter, but heaven is silent. It seems that nobody's home. Some of you have heard me mention the fact, and uh, my dad went home to heaven not too terribly long ago, and how that I prayed for dad for years and years and years to the point that there were times I just wanted to say, all right, God, obviously this is one of those that are not going to be answered. Uh, it seems like the more that I pray, the farther away from you he moves, but I'm so glad that I kept praying. But there are times, I've got to tell you, it just seems like you're praying and heaven is silent. But for some of you, it's, it's not guilt and it's not frustration, it's, it's indifference. When you think about prayer, if you were honest with yourself and honest with God, you'd say, you know what, I don't pray. And I really don't see, and Christians think this way, I don't really see the need for it. I'm not convinced that it's really going to make a difference at all. Have you ever had somebody say something like this, and some people won't say it, they think it, but they won't say it, but then I've had others who have said, you know what, um, I believe that God's will is going to be done no matter what, therefore, why should I bother praying? Because it's not going to make a difference anyhow. And then anytime I hear somebody say that, I'm like, well, you know what? If God's will is always accomplished, then why in the world did the Israelites march around in the desert for 40 years? That was not the plan of God, but they were not in alignment with God's plan. So we pray because we know that God answers prayer. Maybe for some of you that are newer Christians, the word for you is not guilt, and it's not frustration, and it's not indifference. For you, it's intimidation. And you're like, you know, I'm, I'm new at following Jesus, and I, I don't even know where to get started. And maybe you've got to be like a, a veteran Christian to be able to really, really pray. For some of you, when you think about prayer, you think uh, in terms of confidence. Um, I've been committed to God, you might would say, for a long, long time, and prayer seems to come quite natural to me, you might would say. This is a spiritual practice uh, in my life, whereas you might be thinking, hey, there are other practices in my life I'm, I'm not as good at, but this one I feel pretty good about, and I believe in the power of prayer, and you do that. So those responses or a variation of them are scattered throughout this building, even tonight. And so what I want to do in the moments that we have together, I want to encourage you. I really do because I believe, and I know that you do, and I just want to encourage you to keep on praying. And there's going to be times in your life when, like me with Dad, you're just going to feel like giving up, but I'm just encouraging you. Keep on praying. You keep on believing. And in order to just move us toward that, I want to take you for a little while to Luke chapter 18. And there's a couple of things that you need to know about this story that Jesus tells before we even get into it. In the very beginning of this story, Jesus declares his motivation for telling the story. 
And you're going to see it up here on the screen. This is Luke chapter 18, 1. And so it's like Jesus is giving away the answer to the question before the question is really even asked. And this is what Jesus said. Now, look at this with me. Then Jesus used this story. Why did he use it? He used this story to teach his followers that they should always what? What does it say? Always pray and never lose hope. So Jesus is declaring his intention right up front. I'm going to tell you the story, and I want to be clear what this story is all about. I'm going to teach you how to pray and for you to always pray and never give up. Now, there's a second thing that you need to know about this story, and it is this. It is a very simple story. There are only two main characters in it. The first character, if you're familiar with the story, and I've read this many, many times, and again, I want to use this story to encourage you tonight. The first character in this story is a widow, and a widow in Jesus' day was in sharp contrast with widows in our day. A widow in our day can actually be quite wealthy, and we know that for a fact. I know uh, many widows that, that have some affluence. You probably have some too. But in Jesus' day, it would be totally different from that. A widow would not have resources. In, in fact, the vast majority of widows uh, in that culture that Jesus is speaking into would be very poor. Think of them in terms of being unemployable. Uh, think bag lady. Think somebody that is borderline homeless. And so, in a widow in Jesus' day, you've got to see it contrastingly as to how it might would be in our day. So, when Jesus speaks this, everybody gets it. It's very clear. When Jesus said, there was this widow, he says, there's this lady. She has no money. She has no power. She has no options. She has no influence. She has no connections whatsoever. And in this case, this widow that Jesus is going to tell us about is being terribly harassed. Jesus does not tell us who is harass harassing her. Jesus does not even tell us why this person is doing this. He simply identifies the person that is harassing this widow, listen to this now, as her adversary. So think of this widow, and Jesus is telling this story. Again, we know the reason why to teach us that we should always pray and never give up. So Jesus says, all right, here it is. There is this widow, and she has an adversary, but she has no advocate. So she's left with only one option. And you and I can quickly figure out what her only option would be. Her only recourse is to go to the local judge and to plead her case. She is desperate, this lady is, and Jesus is helping us to see this. She is desperate for the torment to end. So Jesus is setting this up. This is the first character. Now enters into the story, the second main character in Jesus' story, and it is a local judge. And Jesus gives us some insight into this person as well. And I want you to read it with me, what Jesus says about him in Luke chapter 18 and verse 2, the very next verse. Are you ready? Let's all of us read it together. Here we go. In a town, there was once a judge who didn't fear God or care about people. Now, when Jesus tells us that, we already can figure this out, can't we? Here's this judge. This judge doesn't fear God at all, Jesus is saying, and he doesn't care about people. So this is not going to be good. Any, any of us already have a sense of where this is going. So this poor widow, what does she do? She pleads her case. This is what Jesus is saying. She pleads her case before this judge. She throws herself on the mercy of the court. Please, sir, she says to the judge, 
I want you to put an end to my harassment. You know what this person is doing. You know, I've told you, and it's going on and on, and there's no end to it. I don't have anybody to come to my assistant. I don't have anybody to come to my aid. I have an adversary, but I don't have an advocate, and you're the only person that can help me. So how does this irreverent, heartless judge react? And by now, you probably already have figured out when you take into consideration what Jesus said. Jesus said, this judge doesn't fear God at all, and he doesn't care about people. So Jesus is, in essence, saying to us, well, this is what he probably does. He sneers at her, he lets out a laugh, and has her thrown out of his court. So she is immediately thinking she's going to find help, but instead, Jesus is painting this picture that she's probably tossed out on the streets. Now, I want to pause there for just a moment, and again, I need to hurry, but I want you to consider this. Have you ever noticed this, that the lesser the options are that you have, the greater the desperation? Let me just say that again. The lesser the options that you have, it raises the level of desperation. This judge for this woman is her only hope. She has no husband to protect her. She has no relatives to step in and help. She has no influential friends. She has no money to go out and hire an attorney. So now her desperation and her determination has been tremendously heightened. It's reached like a fever's pitch. So this is what she said. I love this about this story. She, in essence, is saying this. I tell you, there's no other place I can go. This is my only option. My desperation, I don't have options. And so my desperation is such, she develops this notion of thinking. She says, I know what I'll do. I will pester this judge. I'm going to drive him mad. I'm going to drive him crazy. I will pester this judge until he either protects me or puts me in jail. When he leaves his house, she's saying, I'm going to be on his heels. When he walks out of the courts, I'm going to be in his face. And so she does it again and again and again. And Jesus paints this picture that obviously it works. It's like this judge begins to say, well, you know, somebody's got to help her. This woman is driving me absolutely crazy. I I don't really fear God, and I don't care about people. I really don't care about her, but I want you to handle the situation. I want you to make sure that whatever needs she has are going to be met, that this adversary would stop. Now, near the beginning of this talk, I mentioned to you why Jesus told this story, that we should always pray and never give up. So with that said, quite often, and this is where I want to encourage you a little bit, because probably you at some point have just like, all right, I need to sort out this story. What exactly, I know that he declares the intention in verse 1, but what is exactly Jesus trying to tell me here? So quite often people, maybe even you and I, have picked up our Bible, we've read read this account, and we've read it because it's, we believe, going to increase our motivation to pray. So people read the passage, they flip their thinking meter on and say, well, I've got to figure this out. What is going on exactly here? What is Jesus trying to tell me about prayer? So a lot of times people have this uh, way of thinking. They take the widow and they said, all right, what is Jesus trying to tell me concerning the widow? And a lot of times people's uh, thinking will drift in this direction. Oh, I think I know what it means. I think I know what Jesus is telling us about this widow. No doubt a person may think this is an allegory. So in this picture, I must be like the widow. I must be the person, and maybe that's what Jesus is trying to tell me here, that Jesus is telling me I'm like the widow, that I'm weak and I'm powerless and I'm hopeless and I have no connections. And this judge, 
You know, people often say, well, this judge, this has got to be some kind of picture of God. And then they're thinking it might would be, well, I know that God is not callous. I'm not thinking that. I'm not feeling that way. But I know that God is nevertheless very busy. And if I get desperate enough, I will chase God down and pester him until he reluctantly gives in. And we start thinking, here's what I'll do. I'll do like the widow. I'll just keep badgering God until I wear God down. And he just feels obligated to answer my request. I'll just start driving God crazy, and maybe he doesn't really want to answer my prayer, but I'm just going to keep coming after him again and again. But again, is this what Jesus is really saying? Or does he have something else in mind? I want to take just a moment, and I want to suggest to all of us that are here, and thank you again for being here for prayer, because prayer is an important thing, that sometimes we do not pray like we ought to pray, and maybe it is because we do not understand Jesus' story in Luke 18. Quite often when I have conversations with people, again, people who love God, devoted to God, serious-minded Christians, probably better Christians than I am, but quite often people view prayer as though we have to say the right thing or we have to dial up the right combination or we have to possess this gargantuan faith or maybe just maybe if we do those kind of things, maybe what we're going to do is we're going to somehow convince God to unlock some of the answers to our prayers and to help us. And God, you know, probably is hesitant to do so. But like this widow, I'm just going to wear him down. And that's how a lot of people think. But is this what Jesus is really telling us? And I have to tell you, not at all. The next time you read this passage, and you will probably sooner than later, I hope that you'll see it in a totally different light because this is how Jesus wants us to see it. In fact, listen carefully. This is still Luke 18, but skipping down to verses 7 and 8, this is what Jesus said. I love this part. He says, and will not God bring about justice? He's told the story now. You're with me? Wave at me if you're with me. So he's told the story. So there's this widow, and she just needs some help. She's got an adversary, but not an advocate. And she begs this judge day after day. And he doesn't fear God. He doesn't care about people. But he's just tired of hearing her voice. So Jesus said, And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will God keep putting them off? And then Jesus said this. He said, I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. So next time you read this, come to full understanding that this is in no way an allegory. Jesus is actually painting a picture of total contrast. He is going to say to us, no, 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 no. You are not like that widow. And God the Father in heaven is not at all like that judge. What does Jesus want to do? He wanted to stop them. By the way, he wants to stop us in our tracks. He wants for a light to go on and for the full weight of realization to really kick in. And, and Jesus is wanting us to understand, you know, when we read this, hey, again, it's, it's not an allegory. It's a story of contrast. And next time we read it, Jesus doesn't want us to walk away and say, well, you know what? Obviously, I must be like this widow. I'm just another face in a crowded courtroom. I'm just another number. I'm a bother, a nuisance to the Father. You see, friends, this is what I want all of us to understand tonight as we get ready to pray. You've got to hear this. I want to encourage you in this regard. You are not like that widow. You are not powerless. You are not nameless. You are not hopeless. You are not overlooked, and you are not for forgotten. You have family connections. You're in a favored position as a child of the Most High God, and God wants to answer your prayers. God wants to answer our prayers. And I just have to add to that. 
that there's no voice that God would rather hear than your voice. It's just true. I love hearing the voice of my kids. One of the favorite expressions that I've had for the last now 30 plus years is this, this word that I love, this word dad or daddy. And uh, you know, my kids are grown now. The two boys are married. The prize child is going to get married next summer. And uh, but just that term, dad or daddy. And I, I still love, even though they're grown, even though all three of them are about to be married, and uh, Brent has already started his own family. And so now there's another term that I, I love in addition to the word uh, dad or daddy. It is this great word, papa. I've got to tell you, up until two years ago, I had zero interest in FaceTime. Zero. It could be on my phone. I had absolutely no use for it at all. But when I had babies in Bloomington, Illinois, I'm a FaceTime fan. And it doesn't matter. I mean, I've got to be in a really intense meeting because if I see that face, and I know that my grandbabies are going to be on the other end, and I see FaceTime, and I can answer it or not. I mean, it's got to be really, really critical for me not to. And I did it this morning, and I just, and there they are, all three of them. And I hear, Papa. And God loves hearing your voice. And a lot of times we may think, well, you know, uh, maybe I am like that widow. And we start feeling sorry for ourselves. Or we say, well, you know, maybe my voice is a voice that God's not interested in because I've made mistakes. Or I've drifted somewhat. Or I've let down my guard in the world. Or I've, ca- or I've caved to temptation at some point. But he stuff, still loves hearing your voice. Because as a child of God, you're in a favored position. You have family connections. You have a loving Father in heaven who wants to spend quality time with you. So, if this is not an allegory, which it is not, but a picture instead of total contrast, then not only are we unlike the widow, but I'm happy to tell you, God is completely different than this callous, heartless judge. You see, the nature of God is clearly described in the Bible for us, and it is not the reflection of all, at all, of somebody that is aloof or or somebody that is unrighteous as this judge, or unfair, or cantankerous, or preoccupied, or uncaring. Just the opposite, in fact. Take a look at Psalm 34 and verse 8. Look at what the psalmist said. I love this. The psalmist said, in regards to God, taste and see that the Lord is what? The Lord is good. He's not like that unrighteous judge that does not fear God or care about people. Blessed is the person who takes refuge in him. Let's read this next verse together as we get ready to wrap up this portion. Psalm 103, 8 says this. Read it with me. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love. So as we wrap up the message portion of this prayer service tonight, could it be that you have a distorted image of God? Could it be that you're thinking, you know what? Maybe you've read Luke 18 and you said, yep, yep, that's, that's me. I'm just like the widow. And, and God apparently is just like that judge. But that is not what Jesus is saying. God really is concerned about everything that concerns you. And you never have to worry about, is God too busy or preoccupied? You do not have to beg or plead or or really pester God. He loves you. You already have his heart and you already have his ear. In fact, he wants you to talk with him tonight. He's waiting. Are we going to do it? So go ahead and pray. Pray about the big things in your life. How many of you have got some big things going on in your life? 
But pray about the little things as well because God cares about the little things. Some people say, well, you know, if I'm going to have quality time with God, should I pray in the morning or should I pray in the evening? And I said, what kind of person are you? Are you a morning person? If you're a morning person, a bad time for you to have your devotions is at night and vice versa. So pray in the morning or pray at night. Pray if you have great faith and pray even if you have lingering doubts. In fact, look at what Paul says in Philippians 4, 6. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for what He's done. And when you pray, be sure you keep this in mind. Not only is God interested and not only is God concerned, but our great God is able. So if you have a big problem, and many of you raised your hand, I want to encourage you, don't worry. You have a big Father. You have a big God. And He cares about every detail of your life.